This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the podcast. I am Chris Graham with the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. And uh, Jerry Ratcliffe is here, of course. And uh, Jerry and I will be discussing mostly UVA football here in this podcast. The Wahoos will be hosting Louisville on Saturday at noon in Scott Stadium. Uh, in a game that both teams, uh, you, you, we talk about a lot of games, Jerry, being must-win games. Both these teams come in two and three off of losses, uh, programs in various degrees of disarray. I know that Scott Satterwhite there at Louisville, a lot of folks are talking about him being maybe on the hot seat uh, here. I think it's his fourth year there at Louisville. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, must-win game for these two teams uh, as the calendar turns to October. Yeah, no question, Chris. Uh, I know most Virginia fans felt like that heading into the season, this would be the stretch where they could uh, build some wins, build some momentum, and get ready for the real challenging meat of the schedule later this month and early in November. And instead, this team has struggled mightily to score, to win, to uh, do things the way that Tony Elliott and Des Kitchens want them to do offensively. And, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I kind of thought last week was a must-win game, but if that's the case, then this week is a really must-win game because if they drop to 2-4 and four overall and 0-3 oh and in the ACC, uh, it's going to be really tough to even become bowl eligible for the sixth straight year. They would have to win half of the remaining games to do so. And uh, before we get too much more into Virginia, uh, I know you were on ESPN Louisville today uh, talking with Bob Alvano. I wonder if um, uh, in the course of that or anything else you've done this week, any word on the status of Malik Cunningham for this weekend, Louisville quarterback? Yeah, we talked about Malik a little bit during the thing, and apparently it's going to be a game-time decision. Uh, I don't think he has practiced this week from what I've garnered. Um, I think uh, – Satterfield and his staff have kept most of the uh, their own fans kind of in the dark on what his status may be. So uh, I know Tony Elliott is and John Rudzinski are preparing as if Cunningham will be the starter. But uh, if he's not, then, uh, yeah, it's a big difference between Cunningham and his backup. Cunningham is – yeah, there, you see flashes of Lamar Jackson at times from this guy, and that's a, that's a, a lot to take away from an offense if he can't go. Yeah, I think the uh, the comment from Tony Elliott to that effect was um, looking at uh, Louisville's offense dating back to when Satterfield was at App State, uh, when um, Elliott's quarterbacks coach Taylor Lamb was the quarterback there. Yes. So Lamb is so different than Malik Cunningham. The offenses are very similar. The, the play calling the scheme is very similar. So uh, it's pretty safe to just go ahead and prepare for the, the starter. And if you don't get the starter, then, you know, there might there would be, there'd be nuances uh, in the play calling, but uh, essentially it's still the scheme probably pretty much the same. So, yeah, uh, Bobby Petrino actually uh, recruited uh, Cunningham to be the next Lamar Jackson and, uh, He's uh, he's come pretty close in in some in some ways, but uh, it's hard to replicate uh, a guy as unique as Lamar Jackson was. 
So to the big question uh, that uh, we'll talk about here on the podcast, also the big question in Wahoo Nation right now, why, easy question to ask, hard one to answer, why is this Virginia football team two and three right now? It is hard to answer, and I know you've been trying to discover the answer as well as I have and and probably everybody else listening to this podcast. Um, I I guess it – you can trace it back to the the main root, I guess, would be the Tony Elliott's philosophy and Des Kitchen's philosophy is a, a stark contrast to Bron- uh, Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I's offensive philosophies. And even though Virginia returns one of the most uh, successful passers in the country a year ago and what we all thought was going to be one of the most elite receiving cores in the entire nation. They just haven't clicked to this new philosophy. They haven't made the adjustments. They haven't totally bought in. I know there's, they're trying, but for some reason it just hasn't clicked, Chris. And, you know, we're at, we'll be at the midpoint way of the season on Saturday. And if it hasn't clicked by now, you have to wonder, is it going to click this season at all? And this group is largely, um, I mean, you know, certainly the quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, the uh, top wide receiver this year, at least, Keaton Thompson, Billy Kemp, the fourth, uh, the slot receiver, who's, who's had a great career at UVA. They're, they're not going to be around next year. Um, and so uh, you'll be back to the, you know, back to the drawing board uh, after, after this season, uh, potentially with Jay Wolfolk at quarterback, if he decides to continue with, uh, with football. He's, he's a very highly regarded baseball prospect. And uh, boy, you know, uh, doesn't take much. We we cover baseball too. He Wolfolk is is a guy that looks like he's got major league potential. Um, yes. And, uh, it would not surprise me at all for no reason other than just thinking out loud. If I'm him, you know, if if things are are going south here, he he could he could he could be a question mark down the road for football. He's he's a he's got a career in baseball. So yeah, if if it's not clicking now for this group, eh, it might take a while to click. But that's that's a question for the future, maybe more. Um, you know, uh, uh, Tony was asked a good bit this week in his press conference about culture and his philosophy and, and, you know, it was a lot of off the field stuff, uh, from, from the reporters at the press conference, um, much more than I think I've ever seen, uh, from a, a Virginia coach, uh, in a press conference, a weekly press conference type thing. Um, what, what were your takeaways from, from what he had to say about his efforts to instill a new culture and, and things of that nature. Well, it, it, it left me wondering a little bit because he, he, he said it and, and yet he didn't say it, but he said it was uh, one thing to take, you know, the success from last year and, and build on it in terms of a one year um, campaign, you know, am, am I supposed to change my core beliefs and my philosophies to fit this team for to have a winning season this year and then have to start all over again next year and the year after that and the year after that? Or do I want to build a foundation for a program that can win year after year? And I, I don't know if that meant he's – I know he said he wants to win every game. That's clearly obvious. But it left – I guess some of us wondering, does that mean he's willing to sacrifice this season 
in order to get the foundation built the way he wanted and make players conform to his way of thinking. I, I kind of believe that it is. And, you know, certainly he won't be fired after a season if he doesn't win um, in his first year. But uh, what is it going to do to the fan base in terms of gaining support? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the crowd looks like Saturday. They may be saved by the fact that it's homecoming. But uh, we know that their attendance figures have been highly inflated for the first two games. And with the students leaving at halftime, it's not a good sign. But, uh, of course, they were both wins, too. So who knows what would happen if they're behind at halftime. But, um, you know, what does that do for the future? I mean, if you have a losing season this year and you lose the fan base, are they going to come back? There's that question, and yeah, that's a big one. I mean, if you're if you're saying this is a rebuilding year, um, and uh, we're, we're trying to instill a culture, you could be signaling, you risk signaling the fan base. Yeah, that all right, we're not really trying to win. Of course, he did, like he said, he 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 did say we're trying to win games, but so much of what he had to say was was sort of in the opposite direction. And boy, I wonder if you know if this team loses this weekend, and especially if it's a loss akin to the way they that they, they played Saturday night uh, down in Duke last weekend. You know, there's four home games in a row starting October 29th, I think it is. Um, <laughs> we, we can see a lot of empty seats for those four home games in a row. It's, it's going to be tough anyway to get people to come back four straight weekends, um, you know, from a, in a lot of cases, you know, pretty good distances to get to games four straight weekends. And if, if there's, you know, if this, this team starts going south, that's, that's going to be a problem. And, I look at the recruiting for next year already. Uh, I looked at the 24-7 sports uh, ACC rankings. Virginia's 13th out of 14 schools in the ACC, uh, 70th national, nationally, behind quite a few FBS group of five programs uh, nationally. Um, I would worry about, you know, some of the stuff you see body language-wise and, and otherwise from, from coach Elliott, he's been getting a little frustrated on the sidelines and the, the Illinois loss. And I, I'd say easily in the Duke loss, you know, does that, does that with the transfer portal being what it is now and guys being able to transfer and go play immediately somewhere else, could, could he inadvertently clean house and, and start And next year could be even more of a challenge for this program. So there's, there's a lot of questions there um, that fair or unfair have to be asked uh, of, of the Virginia program right now. Yeah, you're right, and uh, I mean, we saw what the transfer portal can do to a team this past offseason when the majority of the offensive line left, and which was the strength of the team, really. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you consider if, if they lose to Louisville, and there's no certainly no guarantee that that's going to happen, that Virginia could easily win that game as well as lose it, but – should they lose and be two and four and zero oh and three? There's a bye week, followed by a, I guess a, a Thursday night game at Georgia Tech the following week. So they're going to be away from home for uh, at least two weeks uh, before Miami comes to town on the 29th, and. Uh, there's no guarantee they're going to win at Georgia Tech either. We thought 
that might be a win. But since they fired their head coach last week and <laughs> went ahead and upset Pitt 26 to 24 as a result, um, that's a long time to go without a win uh, for the fan base. It would be since September 17th all the way to October 29th before uh, they have a chance to see him at home again uh, in terms of a win, should they lose to Louisville. But um, you could lose a lot of interest in that time span. Yeah, yeah, a lot of interest. Uh, and, and plus, I mean, the, the the fan base is very similar, overlapping almost in, in a lot of ways with the, the fan base for UVA basketball, which is not far from tipping off, a few weeks from tipping off. Uh, by October 29th, we'll be a week away from tipping off. Uh, the basketball season, the basketball, the men's basketball team is looking like a, maybe a top 10 or top 15 team this season. Women's basketball has got a lot of excitement, maybe not quite, you know, the, the attraction that, that men's basketball and certainly football has, but you know, there'll be other things for Virginia football fans to do um, than pay attention to uh, drive to tailgate app before uh, spend hours, spend their whole Saturday uh, at Scott stadium for four weeks. They're starting October 29th. Um, and you know, when you talk about, and Tony talks about building the culture, it's of course, building the football program to be able to win games, but part of the culture, a big part of the culture, and he's talked about this and Bronco Mendenhall fought this battle for years and, and, you know, butted his head against it is, is getting people to the games consistently and getting that environment at Scott stadium that we remember back in the days of the George Welsh years and the early outgrow years when, you know, sellouts were routine and overflow crowds were, and, um, it's been quite a while since that's been the case. And so if, you know, if, if you go that long this season without winning a game and, and can't fill it up later this season, and maybe this season goes South and, you know, next year starts off with that, that eight ball in our way too. So it, it's, you know, it's a lot riding on, on the success of, of a football team that is really, really, really running on fumes right now. But I mean, that's, that's sort of the context, what we're getting into this weekend, I think. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, talk about recruiting. When recruits come to your stadium and there's nobody there, that that doesn't send a good signal to them about your investment in the sport. So, uh, you know, a lot of Virginia fans thought that this would be a, a, a major um, impact here in, in terms of maybe regaining dominance in the state because Virginia Tech, most people felt like, was clearly going to struggle. Um, the fact that they are struggling and the fact that, you know, you could possibly make some ground, some game, uh, gain some ground in, in recruiting in the state and uh, get your fan, fan base back and um, recharged and, and reinvigorated. And you're risking a lot of that if you can't put some W's on the board because they're, they're just not good. We've seen over the years they're just not going to come. There's a there's a really strong core base of fans that will come with with you at Virginia, win or lose, rain or shine. But outside of that, man, you're not going to get these these borderline people to even your own students to come and stay at games if you can't make it exciting and if you can't win games. Uh, even as exciting as they were last year, they still couldn't sell out the Notre Dame game, for goodness sake. And 
Notre Dame sells out pretty much everywhere they go. So uh, if if you can't win, and I don't know, it's uh, and I know, I know the school is trying to do everything it can to attract fans. Uh, I think there's you can buy uh, as many tickets as you want. I think for this week's game for like twenty two bucks or something. Uh, they've tried to uh, make some changes in concessions and stuff. Uh, I know they're giving away a lot of stuff to students this weekend, T-shirts, some other prizes and things that they can win. So it's it's not like they're not trying. It's just uh, you got to win. It's particularly here at Virginia. We've seen that over the decades. You got to win. If you don't win, they're just simply not going to come. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. You know, I did a column this week for Augusta Free Press where I looked at the five FBS teams in the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, um, and and kind of ranked them, well, sort of one through five. I, I, decide, I didn't decide on who was number one, but it wasn't either Virginia or Virginia Tech. Um, I have Virginia Tech fifth of the five. Um, I don't know that too many of their fans, maybe even some of the hardcores would, would disagree necessarily with that. It's Brent Pry inherited a rebuilding job. Uh, Justin Fuente did not leave a lot there. Um, it's, I, I think kind of look at that as where Mike London left the Virginia program when he was let go. And after the 2015 season, just not a lot there. Uh, you look at Brent Pry, he had to bring in a quarterback from Marshall who led the, uh, Mac in interception passes uh, last year through 13 INTs last year led the led the conference in interceptions and he's the starting quarterback now because he's the best option at Virginia Tech uh there's no quarterback succession plan there even after that some prize starting at ground zero um they expected to struggle and uh and they are um I, I don't know that Virginia fans expected Virginia to struggle like this I think you know uh, I was one of those who thought seven or eight wins was very possible um but you look at, uh, you know, we're, we're a few games in now. We're five games into the season for most everybody. Uh, James Madison had an off week, so they've only played four. They're 4-0. Oh. But Virginia uh, beat ODU, who was picked to finish seventh in the East Division of the uh, Sun Belt, a group of five conference, um, seventh out of seven teams. Uh, Virginia beat them on a last-second field goal. Virginia Tech lost to them on a last-minute touchdown. Um you know, ODU in the ESPN FPI power rankings, the football power index rankings, is I think 103rd this week. And, and Virginia and Virginia Tech essentially played them even for 60 minutes each. Um, JMU and Liberty are far and above right now the best teams in the state of Virginia. Now, long term, those programs do not have the resources to be able to compete with the Virginians and Virginia Techs. Long term, Brent Pry or someone will get it turned around at Virginia Tech. Long term, Tony Elliott or someone will get it turned around at Virginia, but short-term, you, you know, the, the two ACC programs are, 
are behind the, uh, you know, Liberty's an independent. Uh, JMU and ODU are Sunbelts. And, and those teams right now are at least as good, if not better, than the two ACC schools. Yeah, and I think Virginia plays uh, JMU next year, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. But I know it's somewhere on, on the upcoming schedule. I, you know, I, I was one of those people. I, and I'll admit I had a little bit of a hard time getting a true feel for this team because I didn't know what the defense was going to do. Um They've turned out to be the lesser worry of things. Um, but, I, you know, I figured with the offense they had coming back, even with a shaky offensive line, they could scheme around that. I really had Virginia, Chris, at four and one right now. I thought they would lose at Illinois, but I thought they would uh, beat Syracuse and Duke and, and Louisville this weekend, setting up for a nice uh, opportunity down the stretch run at five and one over the next six games to, to make some noise. I, I thought they would win seven or eight games that I didn't see any reason why they wouldn't. They, they won six last year against a tougher schedule and they have so much experience coming back on offense. I figured if they just played a little defense <laughs> that they could win seven or eight, but right now, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if this team can finish 500 unless something clicks something drastically changes and how do you predict that I don't I don't know that there's any way we can guess what's going to happen over the course of these next seven weeks of football you know each week uh for the last several years uh each football week uh, that is I I've made it a point to kind of get into the dive into the numbers you know do a do deep dive analysis go to pro, pro football focus really get a a sense of how the line, offensive line is doing, defensive line, not just the counting numbers, the skill position number uh, numbers that you see, and and really try to get a feel for this team. This is the first week in in many years that I couldn't bring myself to even look at, you know, to do those analyses because I don't know anymore that those analyses can tell us anything about this team, at least at this stage. Uh, I'm I'm like you, I, I I don't know how to predict or project how things are going to go because I I'm still of the mindset that they still have Brennan Armstrong. They still have Keaton Thompson and Billy Kemp and, and Dontavion Wicks and Lavelle Davis. And, um, you know, that that offense has to eventually click. But the more and more we see it, I mean, Brennan Armstrong averaged 404 yards passing a game last season. He hasn't thrown for 300 once this year. Virginia averaged 515 yards per game last season on offense. They've had three games under 300 yards. Um, this isn't – it's not hitting on all cylinders. It's almost hitting on no cylinders. <laughs> this for, for the unit to almost largely you know, to largely come back intact, offensive line notwithstanding. Um, same offensive line coach that uh, you know built that offensive line for for this offense to sputter as much as it has, and the defense has played great. Special teams has been awful. Offense has been awful. Defense has been much better. Boy, I don't know. I mean, you know, I still want to think that this team has the the components to, to put a run on, but I don't know that I see them being put in the right places <laughs> to be able to do so. And I'm I'm kind of hinting at I don't know that the 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 scheme is working offensively. I don't know that the 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 coaching staff has proven ad adaptable to make that scheme work. Yeah, I mean, last year uh, gosh, I, I, let me grab my numbers here. 
um, we were talking about statistics and stuff. Last year, this offense was uh, number three in the country in total offense at the end of the season. Right now, they're number 99, averaging 364 yards a game. Last year, they were number 21 in scoring offense. Right now, they're number 118 out of 131 teams, averaging 18 points a game as opposed to 35 points a game last year, Chris. And Armstrong, uh, after leading the nation in, in most pa passing categories last season, is currently uh, number 121 in the country in, in quarterback passing efficiency. And, and that's not the quarterback that we saw last year. I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I I kind of thought that when the coaches saw that this stuff wasn't clicking, that these guys just weren't adjusting to it, that they might bring it back a little bit to, to more what they were doing last year, just to try to establish a, a winning program in the first season and then build from there because you got a new quarterback next year. You got some other new components to the offense and just ride out what you could get out of these guys, get everything out of them that you could. But um, that hasn't been the case. And it sounded like from what Tony said Tuesday that he's not going to change. And if he's not going to change and the, these guys can't adapt, it just doesn't look very good. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Goodfeet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. You know, and it makes me think, as you start talking about that, it makes me think of when Bronco Mendenhall came in and um, you know, he inherited, I think Matt Johns was a starting quarterback that he, he, at least that he had, had inherited from, from um, Mike London. And I think he made Kurt Binkert the starter, you know, Binkert wasn't, I mean, Binkert was, Binkert's in the NFL. He's, he's, he's been a backup in the NFL for several years, but he wasn't the prototype for what Robert and I wanted out of a quarterback. You know, we, we saw the prototype later. It was Bryce Perkins and then Brennan Armstrong. Right. Guys who can move the chains with their feet, who also have the you know the cannon of arm. Binkert's a good drop back quarterback. Um, obviously, can find guys got a powerful arm, but he can't he can't move the chains well with his feet. But for a couple of years, they they adapted, and and you know the first year obviously two and ten, you know a lot of a lot of struggles that year. But second year they went to a bowl, um, and the, you know so you you, you they took what they had. It wasn't what they wanted, but they they made it work to the degree they can make it work. And, and then they get Bryce Perkins and then things take off. But, um, you know, I think, and then I think back to Mike London, Mike London had too many offensive coordinators. There was never really anything cohesive out of the Mike London era. Unfortunately for him, he had a lot of talent, just, just, you know, the, there was so much change and, and flux there, but you, you know, it, it, I go back to that Mendenhall example where, you know, okay, it's, it's not exactly what we want. So we, we but this is the guy we got. Let's, let's amend the offense for now and see if we can get something to work. And they, they marginal success. They got to a bowl game second year 
and, and that was something then to build on. Um, got some, got them access to some better recruits and that kind of thing. Then they could start playing football the way they wanted to. Yeah, it's it is interesting. I mean, it, you know, obviously Tony Elliott is is taking a different approach, and you know, maybe his approach will work. But it's it's confounding right now to figure out how it would work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get what he's saying. I, I I think a lot of coaches feel that way. They they want to instill their philosophies, their core beliefs, all that stuff, their systems and build a foundation so they can build upon that year after year. But wow. It just seems like that they're kind of throwing away some, a, a lot of uh, production and a, and a lot of possibilities by not bending a little bit or yielding a little bit to, to get the, to get every ounce of whatever they can get out of what they have. It, it, it seems kind of a waste in a way. And again, is it worth alienating your fan base? I mean, some people are going to understand and stick with you and say, well, it's the first year, it's a new system. Some people are going to say the heck with this, you know, if you can't win with these guys, what are you going to be able to do in the future? So they're taking a little bit of a risk here. And I know again, coaches, have a strong belief in their philosophy and that they can win with that philosophy. But I don't know. I, I, I think if this year is a wash, I don't know about next year. I, I would agree. I think next year could be worse. If this, if this year ends up being, if it continues down the path that's going now, next year could be really ugly uh, on the field. And then in the stands too, it could be even, I mean, if it's, if it's possible, it can get lower <laughs> from a fan attendance standpoint. Um, it, it's it's certainly a possibility there. Um, I mean, if you stop and think about it, Jeff Collins down at Georgia Tech tried to do that, and you know it didn't work out. Uh, Scott Satterfield, I, I don't know if, if he, I know he he had a different animal when he took over for Petrino, uh, but you know, fan bases and and boosters aren't as patient as they used to be we're seeing coaches get getting fired with winning records <laughs> uh early in the season i mean look at uh the wisconsin guy i mean my goodness he he had a he had three 10 win seasons and a string of bowl games and and uh i think he'd won like almost 70% of his games or something. And he was not in four last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you have three 10-win seasons at Virginia, they build a statue of you. <laughs> Up there, they kick you out the door. Uh, you know, uh, Tony Elliott's a good guy, and I, and I like him. I like his assistant coaches, and I wish him the, wet, the best. But uh, sometimes I think maybe you got to bend a little bit just to – try to get some momentum going in your program instead of trying to put it off for down the road. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years. 
with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. Yeah, one other thing to address, maybe uh, there's not much else to talk about because we haven't talked to any X's and O's, any numbers, because there hasn't been much to talk about there. He addressed this. Uh, I know I've been I've written about this critically. Uh, and perhaps some others have as well. Um, he he got he got a lot of attention for blowing up on the sidelines a couple of times, maybe more than a couple of times in the loss of Duke. And there was also some sideline antics in the uh, the uh, Illinois loss, excuse me, back in week two. He addressed that this week. He, he said he apologized to his, his staff and his players, um, but then defended his frustration. And he even called it frustration. He admitted it's frustration. And so if, if you're listening out there, you're frustrated at what you're seeing as a fan. He's the coach. He's the guy responsible for it, and he's frustrated too. Um, but, man, I, I don't know, Jerry. I don't want to put words in your mouth. This is what I observed. He, he's talking about the player. It's almost like he's, he's sort of – Almost, almost throwing a, some shade at, at Bronco Mendenhall because he's talking about how he inherited all these players who all they want to do is talk trash. He's trying to get that out. He got he, he banned fighting in practice. Apparently, that was something that he implied was something that Bronco and his staff encouraged. And it's almost like he's saying that he inherited a lawless culture and he's trying to police it. And I don't know that we had that impression – at the end of last season or at the end of six years of Bronco Mendenhall. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall said a lot of the same things as his as were his goals that, that Tony Elliott has said are his goals. He wanted to win with guys who can get into the University of Virginia. He wanted to win the right way. Uh, I remember his postgame after the Orange Bowl where he said that, uh, you know, Virginia's success that season proved that, uh, you know, you can uh, recruit student athletes who can be good students at the University of Virginia and win in the ACC and how proud he was of that. And, and then we, now we have Tony Elliott almost like, I don't know, kind of like saying that was all bunk. And, and that's something that I wasn't the biggest Bronco Mendenhall defender, but it makes me think that I don't know that that's fair to Bronco. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell. If, if he was aiming that directly at Bronco and his staff or just the players or, or both. Um, and it's difficult because, you know, we don't get to go to practices during the season. So we don't know if there's a lot of fighting and stuff going on or not. Um, yeah. I was, I was a little unclear on, on all that as well. And um, I know well, even Tony said most programs allow fighting. I, I don't know what that has to do. I don't think George Welsh allowed it. It happened, but, um, but you know, I, he was also upset about uh, some players just kind of casually walking out onto the field for warmups instead of running out and showing some hustle and being excited about being there that it's a privilege to be able to go out and warm up on the, on the practice field and build some excitement and, and all that before a game. And, uh, you know, I, I, that may have cost a couple of people. There was one guy that we heard was going to start and I don't think he even played. So I don't know if he was one of those guys that, that Tony was referring to or not, but, uh, 
There's been a little bit of a change in a couple of spots on the roster this week. A couple of guys not listed as starters who started before, but listed as backups. So uh, I think he's clearly trying to send messages to these guys that, you know, do it the right way or, or you're not, you know, he even said um, after the game Saturday night that it was the same culprits mostly um, game after game. And then if that continued on, that some of these guys were going to sit. And maybe that's what he's doing right now and just to trying to get his point across. I'll say this, and it's it's something that I can't source uh, by name, but uh, I mean, word is is getting out to me that that there are players on the team who are concerned uh, that there are teammates among them who are already thinking about the transfer portal. Wow. And, uh, uh, I mean, we're not even halfway through the season, and and that's becoming an issue. And when you start thinking about it, I mean, so Tony on his side is saying. I want to sit guys. He already has sat some guys, as you mentioned, uh, guys who were scheduled to start, slated to start uh, Saturday, last Saturday night, did not even play. Uh, and then on the other side, you, you've got some players, not players saying this, the, the, the word got back to me from one player that it was, it was not this player himself who wants to transfer out, but that he's got concerns that a number of his teammates, I think he, he the term was mass exodus was, was his fear. Not that he thinks it's going to happen, but he's got a fear that there could be a mass exodus after the season if things continue as they are. And I mean, boy, that's when this turns into a train wreck. Now we have to hope that doesn't happen. You know, it's, I'm sure it's, it's it's another thing, Jerry, like you said, we don't get to go to practice. Um, We're not in that. We're not in the locker room every day. We're, we're not there, uh, you know, talking with the kids every day, like the, like the staff is, but so, so who knows, this might be the kind of thing that happens in every program <laughs> and, and there might be, you know, it, these guys have been together since late July and uh, in, in, at least in a you know, practice capacity, they're together all year round. You know, it, it would be understandable if, if there'd be some tension, you know, as in a, in a, uh, a season like this where there's struggles, but that said, I mean, that's what the word is getting to me is that there's, uh, that there's concern that, you know, there are a number of players who might be looking to get out. And if that's the case, boy, oh boy. I mean, you know, that's, that's, this is year one, you know, I mean, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a way to, to get your guys in place, but uh, you know, and, and recruit the guys you want and, and, and set the expectations as you're recruiting them, that kind of thing. But in football, there's 85 scholarships. There's when you count the walk-ons, there's 95 or a hundred guys you can't afford to have, I mean, you're two deeps, 50 guys when you include the, the, the special teams guys. You can't afford to have 10 or 15 guys on your two deep and, you know, walking away, going somewhere else and, and, um, and then try to replenish that with, with recruits, especially when recruiting is not going very well and, and hope that works out. You, you, I don't know that he's got the time to do that. I worry about the pressure, Jerry, of of the eighty million dollar football ops facility that's supposed to open in a couple of years. That's going. We, Virginia alums and donors aren't giving that money to to have six and six seasons, and that we're we're, we're we we have to wish for a six and six season right now. They want that money to be invested in a program that's going to win some games, and you know I, I think that that ops center could put extra pressure on on Tony Elliott down the road. So this is I don't know, Jerry. I I, I I've I want to, I want it to. I want him to succeed. I want the program to succeed. But I've got a lot of worries right now about whether or not that's going to happen. 
Yeah, well, a lot of it, uh, you know, it depends on, on a lot of factors that I don't even know that the coach or AD or anybody else can control. Um, there's always going to be disgruntled players and and players leave through the for various reasons. Um, but yeah, they they I don't think this program is in a good enough place to where it could withstand a, a, another mass exodus of, of players through the portal. Um, they haven't well, this past year, at least they didn't really show that they could take advantage of the portal. They got a couple of good players in and Cam Butler and uh, Chico Bennett was already here. Uh, Jack Camper is another guy that's helped out. Uh, Anthony Johnson was already here. Um, offensively, they 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 got uh, John Paul Flores, who's who's helped them out a little bit on the offensive line. But uh, for the most part, I I didn't think that. And maybe it's because it took them a long time to get their staff settled and and all that, and they didn't have a lot of time to devote to the early to the transfer portal when a lot of things were going on. But I, I didn't think that they did a particularly great job of obtaining players through the portal. Um, so they, they can't afford another season like that either. They, if they, especially if they lose players, they've got to, they've got to find a way to get some new guys in here to, that can play. And uh, I don't know what the talent overall talent is on this team right now. Uh, certainly it was good enough to be bowl eligible a year ago. And yeah, I mean, if they take a hit and don't go to a bowl this year and and lose a lot of players, wow, that that that's going to be tough. It really is. Boy, you know, Jerry, it just occurs to me: this podcast is going to drive us all to drink. <laughs> 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 if you haven't started already, uh, no. But this this is a fair assessment, and uh, Virginia is a three point home underdog this weekend to Louisville. The kickoffs at noon on Saturday. Uh, JerryRatcliffe.com. Uh, you got you and Scott have got some good stuff up this week, getting folks ready for the game. I've got a few things up. I'm not sure if it gets you ready for the game or not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it probably will just add to your your new drinking problem that we would just help create for you. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Of course, uh, on Saturday, uh, follow uh, Jerry on on Twitter. Uh, Jerry tweets uh, uh, voluminously through the game with uh, his insights. And then, of course, after the game, uh, Augusta Free Press and, and JerryRatcliffe.com will have ample post-game coverage. Um, Jerry, anything else uh, driving your mind right now as we're uh, maybe getting ready to wrap up? Well, we do call it the Bourbon Bowl because uh, Louisville makes it and and Virginia drinks it. So <laughs> uh, if, if, if any of y'all want to share any of that with Chris and I, we'll be happy to take you up on We'll be there early Saturday. <laughs> a couple of sips here and there. But, uh, uh, yeah, I just want to uh, thank uh, our sponsors for the podcast, uh, the Good Feet Store, Aberdeen Barn, UVA Orthopedics, and Ragged Mountain Running Shop. They all have commercials on uh, that will appear during today's uh, podcast that you've already heard because this is the end. <laughs> But I wanted to give a shout out to all four of those great businesses and and encourage you to uh, use their services whenever you can and tell them that uh, Hootie sent you and that we appreciate 
their sponsorship. Without them, we, we couldn't do this. So uh, make sure you thank all those great folks that are behind us and trying to keep uh, you well-informed on your Wahoos. But uh, I'm with Chris. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope Tony Elliott can turn his thing around. And because uh, believe me, it's a lot more fun to cover bowl teams and ranked teams than, than teams that are struggling. So it makes our job easier and more fun and uh, a lot more fun for, for you guys to follow. So uh, we wish him nothing but the best. We uh, hope that he can get this thing turned around and, and uh, get back to a bowl this season if, if possible. So yeah. Selfishly, lots more people click when they want to read about a team that's winning than when they have to read about a team that's losing. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's that aspect. And they want to listen to these podcasts more too. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, jerryradcliffe.com, augustafreepress.com. Please visit our sites to, to find out more about uh, what you want to find out in, regarding UVA sports and, and other things as well. I guess I'd be remiss, and, and it's been on my site, but uh, our heart goes out to two football-related families uh, this week. Tom Zamorski uh, was a guy I knew very well and respected over the years. Uh, was a longtime ACC official and then moved into the replay booth uh, very popular guy in Charlottesville. He knew everybody and everybody loved him and uh, tragically died uh, from a heart attack after the Clemson NC State game last Saturday night down in Death Valley, Clemson, and uh, where he was the replay official. And, and uh, of course, to Tyrone Davis, who played uh, for George Welsh's teams from 1991 to 1994, was an outstanding wide receiver, Broke some of Herman Moore's records, uh, played in the NFL for quite a while, and uh, tragically died unexpectedly at age 50 uh, earlier this week. Our, our hearts go out to uh, both those families, and uh, we're thinking of you, and uh, hopefully they'll pay tribute to those guys at uh, the game on Saturday. Yeah, Tyrone Davis's death uh, hit me even harder. He was a guy I, I was on grounds the same time he was. He graduated in '95. I graduated in '94. Um, he's 50 years old, like I am. So um, he's a guy that uh, you know I remember very well um, from from those days. And so uh, our, uh, our our condolences and best wishes to both those families uh, for their losses. Um, for Jerry Ratcliffe, I am Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great week. <laughs>